Hey, Double Shifters, it's Catherine. Y'all, this is our last episode of season one. I know, right? Just a reminder, if you become a member of the Double Shift, you'll get some great bonus content over the summer while we're working on season two. So if you want to keep that Double Shift feeling in your life, it costs $5 a month. Become a member today at thedoubleshift.com slash join. That's thedoubleshift.com slash join. Next, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, The Broad Experience. The show is independently produced and is about women in the workplace and success. But what makes it really different and great is that the host, Ashley Miltine, does some real reporting on some very complex creative topics. Some of my favorite episodes include a very thoughtful show about dealing with pregnancy loss at work, an episode about the work challenges of military spouses, and another which is a nuanced look at the pros and cons of the rise of female-only co-working spaces. Ashley doesn't swallow the conventional wisdom about women and work, and it makes for a thought-provoking show. Check out The Broad Experience wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Double Shift, the show about a new generation of working mothers. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Every mother works, and this podcast is about our stories. It's not about parenting or kids. It's about us and challenging the world we live in today. This is our season finale, and today we're tackling a big issue for every new parent in America, family leave, and how few people have access to adequate or any paid leave. A vast majority of workers in this country don't have access to paid family leave through their employer. I've been reporting on this for a couple of years, and I'm going to come right out and say it. Parental leave in this country is a shit show. Since there's no national policy for this, how much time you can take off after having or adopting a kid varies so widely. It all depends on your personal finances, what kind of company you work for, and what state you live in. But most of the time, you might not realize how broken it all is until it's too late. I never thought about parental leave before I became a parent. Erin Grau is a 37-year-old mother of two. Back in 2014, she was a rising star on the business side of things at the New York Times. Then she found out she was pregnant with her first child. If you asked me, I would say, oh, you would take maternity leave. But I didn't even know what was the amount of time given to anyone. I hadn't really experienced a team ever that had any person go on parental leave. I worked with people who had older children in leadership, but I had never worked with anyone who was pregnant, had a partner who had a child who had adopted a child while I was working with them. Erin had just completed managing a two-year redesign project of the whole New York Times website. And she was also involved with the Women's Network, an employee resource group that was mainly focused on projects like networking and event planning. But despite things going really well for Erin at work, her pregnancy definitely made her concerned about her career, and she was totally stressed about telling her boss. Because I was about to get promoted, and I was fearful. I was fearful that I'd be discounted, uh, not because I had read anything or he had signaled to me that that was true. It's just kind of my understanding within the times at the time. Like, parents kind of go into this lane, and non-parents or parents with like much older children that don't have the same needs that young children do go into this like accelerated lane. <laughs> and I didn't want that. I wanted to stay in the accelerated lane. And when I told him, I mean, you know, he's, the first thing he said was congratulations. And then the second 
thing he said was really he asked me when I was going to be back from leave and I was three months pregnant and he also said something to the effect of like basically your career is going really well like you just launched this big project like it's so it's too bad my daughter Matilda was born in end of the summer in 2014 and I took leave thinking I had a very generous policy at the times. I took 12 weeks, 11.1 of them were paid. Um, the last few weeks are paid at partial pay. So I went back right after Thanksgiving. It was really hard and I just thought it was hard for everybody. I remember breastfeeding, I was still breastfeeding and I was trying to figure out the lactation room and how to like, you know, pump during the day and fit it in with all my meetings and I just felt so tired at the end of every day. I wasn't sleeping. My daughter was a great sleeper, but you know, if you have a kid that sleeps seven, eight hours a night at three months, th- like they're still getting up really early because they're going to bed at seven. Right. So, and I'm not, you know, so I was doing the second shift. I was working late um, and just trying to juggle it all. I found very overwhelming. Any way you slice it, it's hard to leave a newborn and go back to work, even for someone like Aaron, who has a lot of privilege. She could have afforded to take unpaid time, but that doesn't mean she or anyone else should just be satisfied with what someone in HR has decided is good enough family leave. There's a pretty pervasive attitude in this country that if you are getting anything at all, then you shouldn't complain. So too often as mothers, we suffer through this returning to work with a newborn experience. And when we're in the thick of it, we don't always have the bandwidth to ask, Does this really have to be so hard? And how can we make this better? And so the first thing we did, we wrote a proposal to get a lactation room on the second floor. And then it became more accessible and we kind of had a little community. So I think that was the first step. And that was the first thing that we did that made me think, oh, we can actually change things around here. That lactation room victory definitely planted a seed with Aaron and reinforced this idea that maybe this all didn't have to be so hard. I was having lunch in the cafeteria with a few really good friends who were also leaders on the Women's Network. And I had had one baby. Two of them were pregnant at the time. One of them got pregnant shortly after, so was also very interested. And you know, we were just talking and I think we were sharing stories about people we knew in other industries. And it was the beginning when, you know, Google and Facebook were offering these really generous policies. And it started with a what if conversation and then turned into a how conversation. So they started looking at other family leave policies and they thought that the New York Times could be doing a much better job at supporting parents. At the time, birth mothers got 11.1 paid weeks of maternity leave. But you had to work there a year to access it, and some of that time was at partial pay. If you wanted more, you'd have to run through vacation and sick days. Fathers, same-sex parents, and adoptive parents got six weeks. But according to Aaron, a lot of men didn't take the full amount. It just kind of wasn't done. So Aaron and this group of mothers and mothers-to-be, they knew they wanted a more comprehensive policy, but they weren't sure exactly what to advocate for. Their plan was to put together a concrete proposal with rock-solid data about what everything would actually cost. 
The goal was not just to say that better family leave was the right thing to do, but they wanted to make a really compelling case that this was a good business decision for the New York Times. They decided they needed a real expert to help them think through this. And they didn't have to look far, just in the pages of their own newspaper. My name is Claire Kane Miller, and I'm a reporter for The Upshot at The New York Times. Claire Kane Miller is doing some of the most important reporting on issues of gender and work in the country. And she's also a mom. Erin and the Women's Network got her ideas and advice when they were figuring out how to put together their proposal. And Claire explained that the U.S. has a lot of work to do around changing our cultural perceptions about what is good enough family leave. A lot of the policymakers in this country who are talking about paid leave are talking about six weeks. Anyone who has given birth knows that in six weeks, your body is really not fully recovered. Your baby is definitely not sleeping through the night. Breastfeeding, if you're doing that, is still very difficult. So that is really, really a very short amount of leave. Another number we hear thrown around a lot is 12 weeks. It's considered standard or good leave for moms. But 12 weeks is a kind of made-up number, a political compromise when the Family Medical Leave Act, or FMLA, was passed back in the 90s. That law says for some employees, you can take 12 weeks of leave and they can't fire you. It's still unpaid. Talking to Claire, Erin and her friends realized the research shows that what's best for mothers and babies is actually at least four months of fully paid leave. Between four and nine months is really the sweet spot. Anything over about nine months is too long. It can have the opposite effect and sort of backfire because it's really hard on women's careers. It's hard for them to re-enter. It's hard for an employer to cover for them for that long. So I find in a lot of my conversations with women in the U.S., women talk about being, quote, lucky to have any paid family leave, or they're told that they're lucky to have any, and basically, like, they shouldn't complain. What, what is your reaction to that? That's the most American thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> there is this uh, sociologist, Caitlin Collins, who's really great and has a new book out in which she interviewed mothers in four different countries. And she said only in America do the mothers describe getting these kinds of benefits as being lucky. This country does not think of raising children as something that the government or society should have any role in. It's entirely left as an individual challenge. So if you, you know, figure out a way with your employer and your family to make that work, then you had a personal individual victory and you feel lucky. And and that's just not the way it is in other countries where there is policy support for these kinds of things. Also, this benefits employers. It benefits employers when women can take leave. They're not just doing it to be humane. Women are more likely to stay with the company they're with if they have some paid leave and not feel forced to quit. That costs employers a lot of money when someone quits, when they have to hire, when they have to retrain someone. They might feel more loyalty to this company for valuing the fact that they um, have families. And also, women are half the labor force. They're more educated than men. Most women have children, so logically, if companies can find a way to employ women, then that's going to benefit them.
But obviously, this isn't just about maternity leave and birth mothers. A lot of places have really outdated offerings for fathers, adoptive parents, and same-sex parents. Their parental leave policies don't support modern families, including the idea that there's more than one person who wants to and needs to be doing real caretaking, like men. Any new parent, no matter how your baby comes into your life, needs this kind of bonding leave at home, and especially fathers. I think it's hugely important that this is called parental leave and that fathers are really encouraged, even mandated, to take it. Because what ends up happening is that women are the majority of people who take it in a lot of companies as sort of an unspoken expectation that even if fathers are allowed to take it, that they don't or that they just take, you know, a couple days while their wife is in the hospital and then they go back to work. And what that ends up doing is just stunting the women's careers. Anyone who's given birth knows that the mother does a lot more at the beginning, especially if they're breastfeeding. It's just the way it is. And you need to be really thoughtful and intentional about dividing those tasks during that time and then after that time is over because you can fall into this default mode where the woman's doing everything. And so paternity leave really helps with that. There's been studies that show that men who are changing diapers or feeding babies in the first few weeks of their lives are still more involved in childcare months and years later. And it also makes a really big difference for the mother's mental health. Plus, if more men take family leave, it can actually create a more supportive work culture for moms and reduce bias against mothers in the workplace if it's not just women who are taking time off after a baby is born. So Erin and her colleagues took some ideas from Claire Kane Miller's reporting and began crafting a plan. This took months, and not everyone was, shall we say, wildly supportive of their efforts, like the head of HR, who Erin mentioned the project to offhandedly. About halfway through this process, so about like four or five-ish months in, I was finishing up the meeting and I turned to him. He was a about 60-something-year-old man. He's since retired, but I turned to him and I said, oh, and the Women's Network is preparing a proposal to improve parental leave. And he looked me in the eye and he said, that's never going to happen, but good luck. By the way, we asked the New York Times about this and they dispute it. According to them, the policy was, quote, embraced by every member of leadership, unquote. But Erin says the hard work that led up to the proposal wasn't supported by everyone. She and her colleagues had taken on all of this extra work that they weren't being paid extra to do, while some were pregnant and some had infants at home. And they were still attempting to be kick-ass workers. And according to Erin, she was told there was no point in even trying to make things better for parents at the Times. At that point, a lot of people would have just given up. But not Erin. We'll hear more from her after we hear from our sponsors. Care Of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Make health and wellness a top priority with the help of Care Of. Whether you're focused on finding a great prenatal, boosting your energy levels, or getting more sleep, or just generally being healthy, build a vitamin routine that's made just for you. Care Of's fun online quiz asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices, and it takes only five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. And I love their convenient grab-and-go packs. 
I just went on a business trip and I grabbed a few packets to take with me. So much better than measuring out those little annoying pill cases. Get your personalized Care-of subscription box sent right to your door every month so you never have to worry about running out. Also, a portion of every sale goes towards the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. I love that. For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter DoubleShift30, one word. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter DoubleShift30 for 25% off your first month. Now I want to tell you about StoryWorth. Every family has stories that really become family legend. In my family, it's about the six months my parents spent bumming around Europe on $5 a day when they were first married, or how much my great-grandfather hated squash. Not only does StoryWorth preserve these narratives so future generations can enjoy them, but it also brings families together every week as they get to know each other better. StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly emailed story prompts, questions you'd never thought to ask. It's all private by default, and you can invite whoever you want to receive the stories, and you can view and edit everything on StoryWorth.com. At the end of the year, you'll get your loved one's stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. This is a great Father's Day gift, even last minute. And of course, here at The Double Shift, we are big believers in the power of stories to bring people together. For $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com slash DoubleShift. That's storyworth.com slash doubleshift for $20 off. We're back. And Erin Grau and her group of women had been working hard on a proposal for better family leave. And Erin says she was told by the head of HR that a better policy would never happen and that there's no point in trying. I was really angry I was angry as a woman at the times. I was angry as a mother at the times and in life. And once the anger subsided in the coming hours and days, I became more certain that we needed to do this and that we would have fewer advocates than I thought we would. And in his defense, although I don't think this is, not that I want to defend this, but in his defense, I think we had parental leave. We had what is equal to 11.1 weeks paid. Again, the the last few weeks were paid at partial pay. So that's 12 weeks to take. And I believe he felt like it was good enough. And when you look at the number of people in the country, I mean, the last figure I've seen is 14% that have access to any paid leave. I think he's not wrong. You know, we have a good leave and I just thought we could do better. The women who wrote the proposal with me, the four other women and I, felt really strongly that we wanted to stay at the Times. We wanted to be surrounded by other women and mothers. We wanted them to have access to opportunities. We wanted them to to stay at the times and not opt out of not just the times but maybe the workforce we wanted to convince leadership that mothers were a really great investment and we wanted to hit on productivity you know and and talk about how productive 
mothers are. I mean, again, anecdotally, we felt that that was true and we wanted to prove it to them. So they didn't give up. And they realized that if they wanted to make this happen, they couldn't just send an email to HR about it. They'd have to take their ideas all the way to the top. They perfected their pitch and requested a meeting with the CEO and other New York Times executives. And then they waited. And then they waited more. Until they just couldn't wait for this meeting to happen any longer. Because this policy wasn't just an abstract idea. Since they started looking into improving this, they were also busy growing their families. And they wanted this better leave. In the nine months since that first lunch, three of the five women working on this had actually given birth. They were done waiting. So they got a woman who was on the executive team and was also a mom to finally help broker this meeting with the bigwigs in a glass conference room overlooking midtown Manhattan. The head of HR was sitting right there, along with the CEO of the whole company. Erin and her team had their slides, their data, and their own stories about why this is important. One of the women came in from her maternity leave to help make the pitch. Our big ask was an inclusive policy that was 16 weeks for birth mothers and 10 weeks for all birth fathers, partners of birth mothers, and adoptive parents. We asked that the leave, it's not a benefit that starts after one year of employment, it starts from day one of employment. We asked that the entire leave is paid at 100%, including the disability portion. We asked that there is no hit to your bonus, there is no hit to your sick bank, there is no hit to your vacation days, or your insurance during that period of time. And at the end of the presentation, the CEO said yes. He said it was basically a no-brainer, and he appreciated our effort and actually asked us to continue to do policy work, which we did continue to do. He turned to the head of HR, who at one point told me that this would never happen but good luck. He told him to cross the T's and dot the I's and put the policy in motion. The new policy went into effect in March 2016 and covers all employees of the New York Times. And many parents and parents-to-be were thrilled about the more comprehensive benefits. It was even retroactive, so parents who had recently had a kid could use the benefit, too. But there was one employee in particular who was amped about the timing of the announcement, Claire Kane Miller. Aaron and the others who pushed for the expanded leave, their policy that they pushed for was approved and sent out to the company literally while I was in labor with my second child. I was checking email, trying to uh, pass the time and not think about contractions, and I saw that it came through, so that was very awesome. It is awesome that the women at the Times changed the policy. But of course, not everyone works at a company like the New York Times or has the status that Erin and her colleagues do. So when talking about how to get better family leave, we also need to talk about ways for people to do this who aren't at the top of the corporate ladder. Here's Claire again. 
There are a lot of advocacy groups that are working with women who are hourly workers to do this. And some of those groups were ones involved in Walmart's decision in in helping convince Walmart that this was the right thing to do to expand their leave offerings to hourly workers, um, the same at Starbucks and elsewhere. People with privilege, including privilege of seniority or high pay at their jobs, sometimes have the loudest voices in making this change happen. And so I think this happened also at Walmart where there were salaried workers saying, it's wrong that I have leave. Great, I'm glad I have leave, but it's wrong that I have leave and these hourly workers don't. And so I think that's also um, an important dynamic for people to keep in mind. So it sounds like in order to really get companies to change, if you're a higher status worker and you have a better policy, sort of thinking about how you can bring other people along with you and not just accept a special deal is part of this larger movement towards more family leave. That's exactly right. Do you think that companies just sort of on a one-by-one basis adopting better policies, do you think that helps the larger conversation about paid family leave or do you think it takes the wind out of sails for sort of more comprehensive federal or bigger state policies? I've interviewed over the years a lot of the advocates who were really fighting for FMLA, the unpaid 12-week leave, back in the early 90s. And this is exactly how they said they did it. They started at cities, and then they went to states, and then it finally got to be something that was acceptable at the federal level. And I think the fact that more and more workers are getting this, and it's becoming sort of the default, and also more and more business owners are realizing that they can provide this and that it is not, you know, an economic catastrophe will probably help convince policymakers at the federal level that it's a more reasonable thing that they can pull off and that people really want and that business owners can deal with. Do you see, especially with the 2020 election coming up and people talking about paid family leave and childcare and a, and a number of other issues more um, right now, do you see this momentum brewing? I absolutely see momentum toward this because one of the most interesting things to me about the 2016 election was it was the very first time that both the Democratic and the Republican candidate were arguing for paid family leave. So, you know, the question really does come down to what it looks like, how it's shaped and who pays for it, the length of leave, what kinds of caregiving scenarios it applies to. Is it only babies? Is it relatives? Um, Does it apply to adoptive or surrogate or same-sex parents? So, you know, there are a lot of issues to be worked out. But the fact that this is something that everyone's talking about now in campaigns, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, leads me to believe that we could see a federal policy sometime soon. Back at the Times, Erin was thrilled about the expanded leave and quickly got pregnant with her second child. And while it may not have been entirely because of the policy, the company had a bit of a baby boom right after it was announced. One administrator told Erin that more people took parental leave than ever before. The New York Times wouldn't provide exact figures on this, but did confirm that men across all departments and seniority levels have taken advantage of the new benefit. Aaron also felt like the new policy and the increase of parents led to some real culture shifts at the times. It felt different in a good way with her second child. I loved my maternity leave. I came in um, actually to the office several times. I just like, I loved my job. I get so much energy from my job. So I would come to the office and I would bring my baby. And actually I presented at this whole digital meeting with hundreds of people wearing Frankie, my daughter, while I was presenting like a big initiative I'd worked on. So um, 
so I think like that it that totally changed. I would never would have done that with my first and with my second I just felt so much more able and accepted as a mother. So we could end this episode right here with this triumphant image of Erin being a boss lady with her baby strapped to her chest and everyone feeling inspired and hopeful that it's truly possible to make real concrete changes that improve the lives of parents at work. And it is possible to make this kind of real change. But when we think about all of the entrenched problems women face in the workplace, there is no one policy that can fix everything. This isn't one battle, this is a war. Erin wanted to tackle even more big challenges on behalf of women at the Times. The number one thing that came up when we surveyed women, the majority of those women said that pay equity is the number one issue in the workplace. And we were told very clearly to stay away from that issue. A spokesperson from the New York Times said the company is deeply committed to fair compensation and that they look into pay equity regularly. The last study was in 2016. They say they immediately correct any issues they find, and a new pay equity study is currently underway. At the time, Erin still wanted to work on policy issues that would benefit women and parents. And I was actually told by someone in leadership that there's a difference between a business leader and a female business leader. And if I wanted to be a business leader, I had to basically step down from the women's network. About two years after the new family leave policy went into effect, and after six years at the New York Times, Erin decided to resign. She now works at a female-founded startup, Away, a travel and luggage company. She is the vice president of People, Process, and Culture. Now she runs HR. And one of her first assignments? Dreaming big about creating a great family leave policy and thinking about other ways to support parents. We wanted to share this story because there's a lot to learn from women like Erin who are changing companies from the inside when it comes to family leave and supporting parents. This is really important and we need to keep it up. But it's also never going to be enough. Our workforce is so diverse. Over a third of workers in America are freelancers who get no standard benefits from their employers. So changing individual companies one by one will still leave millions of people without access to any paid family leave. I'm one of those people, and so is a nurse in Texas, a small business owner in Maryland, a bartender in Arizona, an adjunct professor in Missouri, or a Lyft driver in Minnesota. It's long past time to have a federal policy covering everyone in America that allows people to recover from birth and bond and care for a newborn without facing financial hardship or ruin. This is not some job perk like pizza on Fridays. This is a human right. We hope this is just a starting point in making us all think more about what's truly good enough when it comes to family leave. On the episode page of our website, we have a bunch of links on paid leave and how you can get involved, including some great resources on how to advocate for better paid family leave at your company. If you enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a member of The Double Shift. This week, members are getting bonus content about the big impact the new New York Times policy had for one group in particular, dads. Studies show that taking paternity leave is contagious. 
And we'll also hear about what policies Erin's put into place at her new job. It's $5 a month to become a member, and it really supports all that goes into making this show. Plus, since this is the last episode of the season, members will get some great bonus content and access to a members-only online community over the summer while we're busy working on season two. Just go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. That's thedoubleshift.com slash join. Our executive producer is Sarah Ventry. Our editorial advisor is Amy Westervelt. Our editor is Rachel McCarthy. Production assistance from Asal Asanipur and Piper Payne at Nito Mastering. Special thanks to the Southern Documentary Fund. Our music is by Travis Morrison. Our theme song is by Palehound, and we're part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. This show is made possible in part through the generous support of the Ford Foundation. Because this is our last episode of the season, I have a bunch more people I want to thank for making this show possible and encouraging me on this journey. Allison Marino, Jackie Cohen, Jackie Daniels, Lewis Wallace, Lauren Smith Brody, Leah Weissman Fink, Gail Marie, Tanvi Dalal, Margaret McNabb, Anne-Marie Lipinski, my Neiman Fellows, We Collective Group 11, John Bewin, Judy Morrison, Buck and Kay Goldstein, Juleka Lantigua-Williams, Julia Beck, Jordan Fairchild, Gordon Millsaps, Jenny Butler, Rebecca Lavoy, Hilary Frank, Andrea Salenzi, Jeannie Yandel, Farai Chudea, Farah Warner, Ashley Rutledge, Jane Sacco, Anita Rao, Aaron Terry, Katrina Williams, Liz Troller, my muse, Asher Morrison, and the man who's believed in the double shift from the very beginning, Travis Morrison. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Thanks for joining the double shift.